CorporalNetwork.com. This episode of The Tome Show is brought to you by Noble Knight, where Out of Print is available again, and listeners like you. Thanks for using The Tome's Amazon and D&D Classics affiliate links. Welcome to the Tome Book Club for February 2015. The Tome is a D&D news, reviews, and interview show, and I'm your Tome host, Tracy Hurley. And I'm your co-host, Jeff Greiner. In each book club episode, we discuss one D&D-related book, spoilers be damned, in full book club style. And our book this time around is the first in our one-a-month non-D&D book series. It was Tracy's pick and appropriately titled because I do this with her regularly. It's a book by Elizabeth Moon titled Oath of Fealty. You have mine, my lady. Oh, nice. I was worried it was going to go the other way. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, yeah, so the book's Oath of Fealty is the first in the... um, I don't know, in the sequels to the deeds of, uh, I don't know how to pronounce it, Paxanarian? Paxanarian is how I've heard on the on the audiobook. Yeah, uh, so, trilogy, which was the trilogy itself was the author's first novels, from what I my understanding, and they were written back in like 1988, 89. So the original uh, series is a bit older. She decided to wait until 2010 to write the follow ups. And in this book, we're in the the time immediately after that trilogy, but we don't follow uh, the main character from the trilogy. We follow other ones. Very good. Uh, and next up, we will read the second of our non-D&D books in the three months with the idea of expanding our horizons while maintaining our D&D fandom. Uh, March is Eric's pick, and he's going to have us read... Durani Rising. Did I? Is, are we going to think that's close enough on pronunciation? That's how I pronounce it. Durani. D e r y n i. Durani Rising by Catherine Kurtz. Uh, but before we get into this episode, uh, we should talk about our sponsor, Noble Knight. They're a great gaming store that specializes in finding the outer print. And in fact, our pick for this episode has been out of print since 1998. A Paladin in Hell. It fetches a hefty price of nearly $58, but it's well out of print and highly regarded. Check it out on Noble Knight and tell them that the Tome Show sent you. Hello! Hello, citizens! Oh, thank goodness! Adventurers! We need a Noble Knight! Perhaps you can slay the beast of retail and reap the promises of riches. Riches? Yes! Great prices! Out-of-print games! The latest releases and a magic box that converts all of your old loot into cash or new loot. But why? Fantastic. I'll do it. Yes. Well, you see, the beast he kidnapped the mayor and can only be slain by the most noble of knights. Yes, yes, yes. I said I'll do it. Yes, the thing is, I was talking to her. What? Fear not, kind citizen. The noble knight will save the day, rescue the lord in distress, and liberate all that loot anyway only possible at Noble Knight. If you'd like to get your hands on Noble Knight's loot, head over to thetomeshow.com and click on the link in the show notes for this episode. And don't forget to tell them that the Tome Show sent you. Ha, I got to do something to help out. All right, we are back after that ad and that pick about a paladin to jump into this story that is, uh, I guess, was kicked off by a story about a paladin in the last trilogy. 
Yep, so uh, Pax, Pax Narian, the main character in the first trilogy, uh, starts off as a, uh, um, a soldier who... She was actually first. She's a sheep farmer's daughter who uh, wanted to escape her life, so she joined up with some mercenaries, uh, becomes a soldier, and eventually it's revealed that she's a paladin. When she and, when she became a paladin, was it just sort of out of the blue and suddenly she was one? No, there were there were like hints. She was like she started to be able to um, have empathy with animals uh, and stuff like that. And then there's this in the second book. There's this really. Uh, made me cry soul crushing uh, event that reveals she's just there's this evil people who uh, follow this evil god are just doing horrible horrible things to her and then in the end she's it, it transforms her into like a chosen type of person okay. uh, and part of the thing with the first series was the author Elizabeth Moon uh, had been around people who played D&D heard how they were describing paladins and said, no, 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 that's not how I would do it, and decided to write how she would do paladins. So, so oh. it is tangentially D&D related here. Yes. Uh, in that it was, I guess, D&D inspired. Uh, and then 20 years passed, right? She did the original trilogy, um, left it there. Um, 20 years go by people as I understand it from reading around the internets were asking lots of questions about what was you know what what happens next in the story but um, right uh, but but she hadn't gone back to it for 20 years and then decided to come back to it she writes this story uh, Pax which is short for Paxanarian right the the main character from the first (laughs) Uh, becomes sort of a, a cameo character almost instead of the main character and, and right. now we follow the secondary characters from that trilogy right um, including uh, Duke Felon who is the uh, leader of the group Pax had joined mm-hmm. and it and it's revealed in that trilogy that he is actually a lost uh, prince yeah. and, he, and he's now going to become king yeah, uh, uh, and he's half elf yeah half elf prince so he's gonna go lead the become king of the which is basically those of Leona mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah and and actually um that highlights I think sort of what I thought the theme of the book was it was um it was kind of what happens after the D&D campaign is over right and, and now you find your your characters in positions of responsibility and duty and how do they do that right so one of them is oh. the king one of them is the new um the new head of the the mercenary um, group, and then one of them is the uh, becomes a, a duke uh, right. through the early course of the of events of the of the story. Yeah. And so it's basically, hey, you've been a mercenary your whole life out in the front lines fighting and 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 killing for money and all that kind of stuff, and now you have a responsibility and a duty, and and how do you adjust to that life? Right. Well, and so to first, me, oh, sorry, go ahead. Uh, yeah, to me, it actually felt a bit like in what I always picture. At the at the name levels for AD&D Second Edition, where the fighter would have a stronghold, get henchmen, and all that, which changed the style of play in the game. Each mm-hmm. character went no, oh, so reading out like okay, I never managed ever to play at those levels because we always quit beforehand. But uh, reading about it, always imagined how that would be, and that felt a lot like that too of them adjusting to their new places. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, 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 as, and as a result, I think a lot of the action was sort of um, internal. 
right? It was it was them sort of coping with and dealing with and whatever, um, as opposed to there's this big bad threat out there and I need to go out and defeat the evil. Yeah. Yeah, and one thing with uh, with Elizabeth Moon is like she tends to keep things more real. Like I mean, obviously there's still some fantasy elements and there's magic and yeah. stuff in it, but uh, she's in the Marines and in the in the first trilogy there's a lot about how they set up their latrines and mm-hmm. how military life is and kind of she brought that in this one too because we have that whole thing where he's where. Um, Felon is trying to figure out how he's going to make enough money to keep his kingdom going, mm-hmm. and they're they're worried about the coin for his uh, coronation ceremony and all these things that a lot of times in fantasy books it's like, well, we don't really care about that, you know? Yeah. Why? Who cares about economy? Just have the lavish stuff. There was a yeah. whole storyline about how how a, a royal uh, picks their horse, right? You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It felt very low fantasy rather than mm-hmm. the usual high fantasy that you see in D&D books where flashy stuff happens and this felt more down to earth going there oh but there's still some magic and, like, and actually yeah I sort of feel like the magic that was there was pretty high fantasy magic it's just that the vast majority of people are not exposed to it on a regular basis yeah. you know yeah yeah well because part of the world building was that uh, Gerd I think it was that had like a a number of the gods had said like or no more magic Mm -hmm. and there's only certain people who still had the old majory uh and one of them is like the part was part of the civil war and tried to assassinate um i think it was a king or a prince themselves so those people had magic and had lots of it but everyone else pretty much didn't that was the the verakai is that the yeah the the evil magic people (laughs) <laughs> who have like houses full of traps and yeah, where, yeah I don't know how they live in those houses because <laughs> if you sit in this chair it will kill you well, then it, why to make the chair <laughs> because it's pretty it's there <laughs> well and they're incredibly evil like so one of the things that that really got to me about the book was um that whole thing that they do that like it's part of the author showing how evil they are but they Usually when people, when you talk about families and particularly noble families, stuff like that, you care about the bloodline continuing and you care about the children. And in this case, it's like they, the adults don't care about the children necessarily unless they, they're going to be vessels because uh, for themselves to continue to be immortal. Mm-hmm. Because we had that case where the adults were uh, basically killing off the kids and taking over their bodies so that way they can continue to live. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is actually, I thought, one of the cooler ideas. Um, yeah. Oh, you know, felt a bit like lich-like, or you could, you could see a, like a lich doing that, that basically their vessel would be the next body, mm. continue on as they go yeah, I can totally see. I mean, um, running a campaign like that, right? Hey, you've successfully killed the villain. Ha ha ha. So you think. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Yeah, and and so nobody knew who uh, who was whom. So, and and also the whole part where she part of the reason she's disowned from her family is because she wouldn't hurt a bunny that. And we're talking here about uh, Doran. Doran, yeah. yeah. Doran Verakai. Yeah, who's actually of the the three? I think it was main characters. Her storyline was the one I, I really got into and started enjoying the most, even though I think it had its flaws. Mm-hmm. Um, 
See, I've I've been very positive so far. It's okay. <laughs> the, the listeners don't know how much I really didn't uh, necessarily like like this book yet. But um, Doran's story was the story that I that I think I enjoyed um, the most of the three, and I think that's because it had an arc. Right. It it started right. from a position. She went through a a, a certain level of growth, uh, and and it went somewhere at the end. Right. Uh, and so I felt like that story had an arc. It, it moved and it was going somewhere. You know, um, sometimes I feel like things moved almost too fast. Like it was, hey. We found out you have some latent magical ability that was blocked, and boom, you're a powerful wizard. Wait, what? <laughs> like a week of working with somebody, and suddenly you've unlocked all of your magical potential, and you can do anything you want. That is that is um, that is fast, and like you're a completely different person, and 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 do things differently, and can, right. t- can take on super powerful wizards that have been, or I guess mages or whatever they're, they're using, right? That have been passing down their 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 intelligence for hundreds of years possibly um and suddenly you can take them on and 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 uh, challenge them and and there's, so there's a lot there that's interesting uh but but there's also elements of it that i thought just went r- way too fast like wait a, th- this is a thing and this seems like a big deal you should spend more than half a paragraph you know in this fight or in dealing with this thing right well and like in particular with that one there's hints later on after it's already gone a little too fast that maybe she's getting help from a god is okay with this sort of thing um uh, but yeah no i mean she was she was totally blocked she didn't know she had anything and then suddenly she is more powerful than any member of her family who's disowned her and in fact is more powerful than all of them at once because she's able to to hold them still with her mind Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah Yeah, um, but but I did I did in particular uh, like also like as gaming fuel the the well scene. Oh yeah, yeah, I did too. Where her family had basically thrown um, a a pregnant woman down the well. Well, and it was more than just throwing. I saw saw it as some sort of uh, ritual sacrifice. No, they, they, yeah, it was like a, a ritual sacrifice because they were upset with the town, with the people who lived around the well, the town there, mm-hmm. or the village, and so it poisoned the well with the body. And every time anyone tried to make it better, they also died and added to it. So it was like blood magic stuff going on. Yeah, and that's that was yeah. sort of their big their big baddie thing, right? Is that um, there wasn't like there there people seem to be um, more willing to accept magic. But the Verakai used blood magic, and that's what made it, like, really bad. Yeah. Right? Uh, because they were also used to, you know, paladins and clerics and that kind of stuff using using magic uh, of a divine sort. And so uh, magic th- did not have necessarily the, the inherent bias, but the blood magic that the Verakai were known for using and the use of demons and that kind of stuff, um, that was, you know, th- th- of course, the big bad. Right. Yeah. There was – when they were – even when we were unlocking – the power of Do- of Doran, they were even questioned about it, and they even covered. Well, it's magic. Everyone, all paladins have magic and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. It's just how you 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 use it rather than. So she Doran, she is a a warrior of this god, so she should know the balance of how to properly use the moral way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, and and I and I felt like this is the almost in many ways the most complete storyline, right? She she becomes a duke, and they go through this whole. Uh, I, I even really enjoyed that they had this whole conversation, right? Um, hey, you're a duke. What do I call you? 
right? right? Well, they they made me a duke, so I'm a duke. So, you know, we'll use that term. I'm not a duchess. I'm not a, you know, uh, whatever. Uh, you'll, you'll refer to me as the duke because that's what I am now. Um, and so there's that whole um, angle to it. And so she becomes the duke. She deals with sort of um, trying to overcome the uh, issues of her family, right, that uh, root out the, the evil that's still in, the, in her estates, um, both physically and through these uh, progenitors who have, you know, sent their minds down to their children. Or I guess at that point it would even be grandchildren, right? Right. Um, uh, and so she's rooting that out and then – uh, and then she comes to some sort of conclusion where she is asked to come and, and swear fealty to uh, a new, was it crown prince? Yeah, I think so. Uh, and, and that was actually um, an area where like her storyline, while there were moments of it that went really fast and I feel like they, you know, whole important parts were just skimmed by. Um, that There was also, I think, a lack of world building. For a book, and we didn't talk about this earlier, but this book was, was specifically pitched in the foreword as this is an alternate entry point into this world, right? Great. And yet I felt like there wasn't much effort for any world building. Like, it was the king, uh, was it Kiri, yeah. uh, Phelan, sure. right? Mm-hmm. Who's the new king from the previous series um, that made her the duke. Am I wrong? Think it's right. Okay, I thought so. Because so. Then why is she then going off to swear fealty to somebody completely different in a different kingdom? Like that, that whole, and, and and I didn't even realize it was a different kingdom, and the, and the whole thing was very confusing to me. Like I thought we were one kingdom, and now suddenly, halfway through the book, they're introducing that she's going to go sure. and swear fealty in some other place to some other person for some reason that I didn't understand. Right. So you don't know either. <laughs> yeah, it's one of the issues with doing the audiobook was that I couldn't easily go back and and figure that out. Yeah. But yeah, no, there are definitely yeah. times when I was confused about that. I thought maybe it was I thought he talked to the other person, but I don't remember to be honest. Yeah, I thought that Flan since he was a duke from the pre the other kingdom, he used his last ducal power to give a right. recommendation for for Doran to become the new duke, the new duke for that mm. for Verica for the for the lands of Verica to get rid of the of the of that evil blight that is of the blood mages, the, the Verica family line, yeah. and and yeah. that's that would make sense, yeah, because because I know he was very concerned about the border of his kingdom too, and I think. So, yeah. yeah. And, and I think I suppose it's possible that like they explained that, but because I didn't realize the significance, I didn't pay attention to it, you know? Right, yeah. Um, yeah. Which I mean goes to I th- I th- does think to some degree goes to show that if you really want to get into the series, it may actually be good to go back to the beginning because I feel like yeah. I'm guessing from because I wanted to refresh my memory and try to figure out what was going on here because I was so confused. I went back and and read some reviews that other people have done and, and people have really good things to say about the original trilogy. Yeah, um, and, and so I'm guessing that there's a lot more of that introduction and world building stuff. Like I don't know that I even felt like I got much of an introduction to most of the characters. Um, right. You know, yeah. so I I got halfway through the book and I went over to a coworker's uh, room and I'm like, um, I'm listening to this book and I just realized I'm halfway through and and I don't know who the main characters are like they start talking about one of them and i realize wait which one is that i don't have no idea (laughs) like i just couldn't keep them straight in my head right (laughs) well i i was reading the physical book because i got it from borrowed from the library and i I kept referencing because they they, she has 
the Dramatis Persona wow. on it, which has many, many names on it. So it was like... Yeah, and is there a map in it too? Because I, I, there, there is a map too. Yeah, see, I, I would have thought that... I, I, several times I thought to myself, man, I wish they would find a way to, to include those extras and stuff in an audiobook so I could reference a map if there was one because yeah. I think that would have cleared up some of my yeah. who were who were she swearing fealty to thing. Yeah, and I, and I do agree. There's definitely, for somebody coming in, it's difficult because she has so many characters. But um, this book doesn't do as much as... So, like, when you read the original trilogy, you're starting out with Pax, who's a sheep farmer's daughter, and she's discovering the world. So you have that right. um, device there for right. the reader that you don't have in this one because all of these people, like you were saying earlier, the campaign's over, so they're known... They know the world, uh, and they're just trying to uh, do stuff in it now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, did it? And, and I mean, uh, and on a completely different note, I suppose, um, you know, because we've talked about how there there are certain things that are glossed over um, mm-hmm. and what have you. Um, and in fact, one of the reviews I read, of, I think one of the 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 one review I read that was actually particularly helpful to me um, talked about how um, there were moments where the author would have a character reference a conversation that had previously happened, but never actually had written that conversation. Um, you know, so, so they, she could skip having to write the whole conversation and just say, well, this, this conversation happened. This is what we decided. And we moved on. And I wonder very much, you know, Oh, if that kind of stuff was happening, like, I don't know if I'm missing something from a previous story Right. Or if it's just they're fast forwarding past that or whatever. Uh, and then I also found on, on issues of, of brevity, um, I found the fight scenes to be like really glossed over and fast. Like there's not very many of them and they, they sort of happen in, in a paragraph at most and they're, and they're done. Um, and I don't know how intentional that is. I don't know. Um, I, I, don't, I, I sort of feel like there's, there's good in between. Like th- these fight scenes were so fast they, they didn't feel important. Uh, whereas Bob Salvatore will write a whole chapter about a fight scene that just drives me crazy and I kind of wish he'd get to the point. And I feel like there's got to be a happy medium somewhere <laughs> where a fight can feel important without dragging on, you know? Yeah, well, and I wonder too, so like on the first part, I feel um, like sometimes I think that's how it is with me in The Forgotten Realms. Mm-hmm. I'm a little better now because I've read enough uh, with the book club and with the other tome show uh, shows, but like when I was first doing it, everything I was like, I don't know, is this a reference to something or is this sure. new? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I totally understand that part. Uh, and also, I sometimes wonder because, like, I was ta- uh, talking about earlier that she uh, was in the military and she's very like she wants to represent it like it's real. Mm. And I do wonder sometimes with fight scenes if if that's what's going on with her. her. Right. Because a real fight is typically over really fast. Yeah, <laughs> but, but that's not necessarily satisfying for the reader. <laughs> yeah, but but but, but it yeah. kind of kills the drama, you know. Yeah. yeah. Maybe, maybe it works in a sci-fi setting, and, is, and my understanding is that in the twenty intervening years between the series, that's what she was writing was was sci-fi. Yeah. You know, but so you know, somebody gets shot. That's, I guess, has a different feel than hey, <laughs> we're getting into a sword fight. You know. And also, there's a difference between a, a, a more realistic fight and a more cinematic fight that mm. could be longer and have more details and more drama in it mm-hmm. without being too long and drawn out. Um, so. Yeah, one of the things I did like about the fights, though, was uh, I forget who sh- who uh, they were going up against. Uh, I think it was Doran. Um, no, it wasn't Doran. Uh, the 
uh, Archon? I think it was Archon, yeah. The new, the the, new the mercenary one, commander. Yeah. The one where um, she was able to uh, disarm somebody at one of the, I think it was GERD things. And the guy was like, wait, how did you do that? No, it had to have been Doran because they were wondering if it was Blood Madry or like okay. Madry that she was using. Uh, and she's like, no, no, I totally did it like through my skills as a fighter. Mm. And uh, I thought that was pretty cool. Because it's like it's kind of like that. Um, I, Merle's had the had a post once talking about trying to like seek out people in the gaming world, like in the within game world to learn new skills and, and experts and stuff like that. And that seemed kind of like one of those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Well, and, and that, that sort of is the explanation of how it is that she learned to unlock her, her majory anyway. Right. Except that it happened in a week, which just seemed <laughs> right. really abbreviated. Yeah. Um, so I guess we've got the three storylines going on, right? We've got Doran's, which we've talked about it, uh, at, a lot. Um, we've got Arkelin's, which I didn't really dislike, although I didn't, I wasn't sure it went anywhere. Um, and then where there's Kiri Phelan's, uh, who is the the what former duke, revealed half elf, and now king of a neighboring kingdom, which I didn't realize was neighboring until I read the review afterwards. Um, what what happens with Kiri's story? What's really going on here? Because I'm still not entirely sure with Kiri Phelan's story um, what was accomplished. <laughs> so, well, I mean, a lot of it's just him changing gears, I guess. So the thing is, like, I, I don't know. For me, a lot of the skills that he had to to learn as Duke, and in particular, is leading his cohort and stuff, is that. Uh, they're very useful for also being king. Mm. But he seems more like it. his purpose is to uh, disabuse people of this notion of how fantasy world economics work. Because mm. he's very big in that <laughs> how people are making their money mm. and getting the merchants involved. Because, like, why would you not have merchants involved? And, uh, yeah, trying to bring a sense of realism, it felt like, mm-hmm. to, yeah. uh, to fantasy worlds. And, and I, I do remember him, and the el, even the elves, which are from that country, are looking at him and like, "What the hell are you doing here?" And yeah. that's not how we do this usually. But he's the king, so now they're respecting. They're they're respecting. So that, yeah, although he spend, he spends a lot of time being, um, I'm I'm losing the word here, but but def, uh, deferring to tradition, right? Yeah. You know, being open to you know, let me know how thing how things are done. I don't know. I don't understand. I don't know. I'm not. I haven't wasn't grown. I didn't grow up here. or Whatever. Um, you know. He, so he seems not completely rebellious, sort of of their traditions. Right. Well, he wants to be respectful while still um, uh, maybe addressing some of the problems that they're having, including the ability to raise funds. Because mm-hmm. uh, I think I think it's it said a few times that he's really concerned about war. Because um, there's even the older lady uh, is sent by one of the other uh, areas, um, and they thought, and there was comments about how. Yeah in the story about how that was like the perfect person to send because uh, like they're very likely to go to war with each other but how could you be angry at an old lady mm-hmm. yeah she's she's from from her current Pergun, which was north of Lyon right Lyon, yeah. 
So. Which, which, I mean, he's got he he's very afraid of threats of war from all these places. He wants mm. to avoid the war, but he's also trying to rebuild his country and all this kind of stuff. Uh, uh, what is the the villain? What's the obstacle that he's overcoming? Is is it as mundane as uh, we're poor and I'm trying to figure out how to raise funds? I think I. I wonder if a lot of it is just the time that was stolen from him because, uh, like, he didn't grow up. He was from there. They thought he was dead um, because I think it was him and his mother were attacked, I thought. And he ended up being raised elsewhere. But, yeah, no, there isn't necessarily a clear villain there. Yeah, I mean, honestly, the only of the three storylines... And, and again, it took me half the book to figure out there were, there were basically three storylines going on because I could right. keep the character straight. Of the three storylines, it seemed to me that, that Doran's is the only one that had it sort of a complete arc, right? There was growth. There was a villain. The, the villain was overcome. And then you, you were sort of celebrated at the end and, and very heavily um, didn't finish that story either. Right, yeah. um, which right. is which is I think um, a fair critique of the book as well. Like it, it is very not self-contained. Like I feel like I read half a book, right, and, and the story never really finished. And and it is a trilogy, and I get that. Um, but and if, a very long half a book. But but if I yeah but but if I'm have to make the decision about whether or not I'm going to read this story or not based mm-hmm. on the first book, um, I I don't know that I'm convinced because <laughs> I didn't get a satisfying anything out of it. You know. Um, Arkelin's story and Kiri Phelan's story, I, I didn't feel like um, had sort of a, a strong arc in terms of villains, right? Arkelin's right. out there and he's been hired to, to deal with bandits and he kind of does, but it doesn't feel like a particularly important villain to overcome or storyline, although there are hints that it's part of a larger thing. And so that one I can kind of say, okay, well, they sort of dealt with the thing and it's leading to something bigger that we'll see in the later book. Uh, Curie Phelan's, I just didn't feel like um, went much of anywhere at all. Uh, it felt a lot like groundwork being laid rather than like a real story yeah. to me. For, I, I for, agree. For okay. me, for Curie, felt like it was st- put in right smack in the middle of the story where st- their groundwork had already sort of been done. Now it's his transition phase as he's becoming king. Then later on, we'll see other stuff. So yeah, I, but but it's unfortunate because I I sort of felt like at one point as I'm as I'm listening to it, I feel like Kiri was being set up as sort of the main storyline of the storylines, uh, and then that quickly I was disabused of that notion because it never really went anywhere. <laughs> yeah, and I mean with Doran, you do get the whole saving the crown prince thing at the end. Hmm. So it's a little more of a typical fantasy ending. Um, one of the things, so you had brought up earlier about the whole, like, what do you call me now that I'm a duke? And mm-hmm. uh, one of the things I liked about I like about the book um, is to me it's an example of how the book will take a position on, on particularly issues of gender um, mm-hmm. while still talking about the same issues. Because, like, there's the one scene... Uh, when uh, Doran is talking to uh, some of the house, the staff at her house, and the one woman is pregnant, and it, it's, I don't think it's explicitly said, but it's hint- well, it's pretty explicit that she was raped by the by her family by the Val- um, how do you pronounce Verakai. it again? Verakai. Verakai. Yeah. So um, and the 
Cook, I think it was, was starting to say something like, oh, well, you know, young girls making the story. But the the book itself has a very strong statement that that, like, Doran says it, and the book, the way that it's framed makes it, like, that's not okay to say. Right. Yeah, uh, which The book does a really good job, I think, of of challenging some gender issues without <laughs> making it a story about gender issues. Yeah. <laughs> which is, which is, I think, good. I mean, I, I, I don't, I mean, I guess, I don't, I guess I'm not opposed to reading a book that's, that's about challenging story issues, but that's not what she's trying to do. Right. But, but, but it's there. Right. So. And then, and that even goes into the one where, uh, part of the thing from the original trilogy is that, um, Pax was um, was assaulted, and the guy that assaulted her tried to make it seem like she had uh, attacked him without provocation. Uh, and so it was cool that it was addressed in this book, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so we've talked about Kiri Phelan's storyline. We've talked about Doran's storyline. Um, what do we think about Arkelin's storyline? I mean, we started with Arkland's storyline, right? That was the first chapter, as I recall, um, when I was still trying to figure out what was going on and, and who was who and, and how this whole thing worked. Um, Arkland is the was the the captain now of the uh, of the company. Right. He was bef- no, he he's the the whatever the head of the company. He was before he was a captain of the cohort. Right. Um, which I actually had found that kind of stuff interesting, right? Oh, this is, you know, a specific sort of details about how a mercenary company is run and, and yeah. how it's organized and all that kind yeah. of stuff. I, I found that yeah. to be, be interesting. It had a bit of a story arc. They were hired out to do something. There was this whole um, thread about um, mercenary sort of a code, you know, the, the deal with contracts and, and honoring those contracts and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then he was, it turns out his, his job was to go out and deal with bandits. And then he, there was a, a decent little storyline there about dealing with the bandits and, and sorting out, you know, who was actually supporting the bandits and, and a merchant who was hiding goods for the bandits, getting caught and being stripped of his uh, membership of the merchants guild, uh, which also ties into, um, you know, ideas about the importance of guilds in a, in a setting like this, which, which I think was inspiring for, for, uh, a campaign, um, you know, I, I wasn't disappointed by Arkelin's story once I figured out who who Arkelin was and what was going on, you know. Hey. And it was it was um I mean Arkelin's and Doran's were the ones with the action, right? Right. So yeah. And also uh, there's some vignettes that I liked. Like the, um I'm forgetting the guy's name right now, but uh he needs to uh, Arkelin has to hire new captains, I think it was. Mm-hmm. And they he gets a recommendation for a guy that probably his staff almost turned away as a beggar. And it's like, Oh, he's just, he's on hard times, but like maybe you really should give him a chance. And like, the guy is just awesome. Like it was, it was the touch of humanity that guy needed to then go and become a person again. Cause he takes his advance right away to get nice clothing. So he looks the part and like, you get to see that sort of thing. And I like that a lot. Mm-hmm. There, there are moments that, um, so there are, there's a podcast novel series that I've really enjoyed. Um, the, the, the tales of, of the, from the age of the solar clipper or something like that. Right. And it's sort of this weird sci-fi thing, but it's not action packed at all. It doesn't deal with aliens or whatever. It's a, it's a merchant story, right? Mm-hmm. 
Um, but but I really enjoyed sort of this idea of exploring the entrepreneurial spirit and how how one somebody can sort of write, rise to their ranks but through hard work and ingenuity and creativity and, and all that kind of stuff, right? Uh, and and there's lots of little details about how all that works in that book. And and there's elements of that book that I recognize uh, here that I that I really like. You know, the idea of, of how do you run a merchant company and these kinds of things and whatever. Um, but at the same time, it was it, it felt like it was trying to be that kind of story, but also a completely different kind of story, um, right. dealing, dealing with kings and, and all this uh, and, and conflict and war and what have you. And so it did, did get a little bit muddled. But Arkeland's story is where I saw that uh, the most, I think, because he was trying to run a business. Uh, it was a he, right, Arkeland? I think so. I thought so. That, that, that's what I gathered. Yeah. So, so he's trying to run a business. He's trying to organize these people, and so, and, and it allows for those sort of human moments that you're talking about, Tracy. Um, yeah. To, to and emphasizes those and, and how important those are. Cool. Um, and it, was it was it Arkelin's story with the demon possession? Yeah, it was because they had to leave him behind. Right. They there was an intersection with Arkelin, and and was it Doran? Did Doran actually show up there? And it was one of the Varakai that was in a body or whatever, or and tried to jump into one of uh, Arkelin's people, um, and then something happened, and it ended up being a demon possession or something. Yeah, yeah, I nice. remember that, but I'm trying to remember that 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 kind of seemed weird to me because at, at first, like we were given the impression that it was one of the Varakai, you know, right. spirits or whatever, trying to to jump into the body, and then all of a sudden it was a demon possession. Uh, and 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 very different than the Varakai and whatever. So I was, I guess I was just kind of confused what happened there. Was it was I just wrong in thinking that it was Varakai and it was a demon all along, or and where well, did that I come thought, from? Because and... I thought that Varakai, with their blood magic, summoned demon spirits into stuff too. There was some implication of that, but we never saw it except for maybe this once. That's, if, if that's what's yeah, going on, that's what I was. I, I, w- I my interpretation was when that showed up, that was one of the effects of. The Varakai in the world. Okay. Is that there are de- the- demons running around and, and yeah. possessing people? Okay. Mm-hmm. We co- we completely skipped a storyline with, with Doran that actually was one of my favorite parts. Oh? The the weird crown jewels. Oh, yeah. That un- behind a, a bleeding painting in, in the Varakai estate, she finds a box that, that opens for her... Uh, and the you know a cr- the crown jewels sort of hover out of it and and say you know that they belong to her and all this kind of stuff and she's like that's weird and the, but they don't belong to the to the crown of the kingdom I'm in and whatever and so she very smartly I like that she was intelligent about it too instead of being like oh shoot this is weird uh, hide that <laughs> you know and she's like you know what let's just be up front let's you know let's take it with us to the coronation and let's say hey we have a gift for you we found this it's clearly not yours but. It's weird, and and I thought you should know. I'm not making a play for the the for the throne or anything. Um, but that's right. actually like that's the one storyline that makes me think. Oh, maybe I should pick up the next book and see what's going on. Like the rest of it, I, I kind of don't care where it goes. But the crown jewels, I, I want to know what's happening with those because that's cool. Like I like yes. the idea in a campaign of having this weird, powerful, magical item um, show up, and it's a, it's the crown jewels, but it's not associated with any kingdom that like exists anymore. And you're yeah. the heir to that kingdom that's dead, you know, or whatever. And like, I, well, I feel like there could be some cool stuff there. 
Well, even uh, for me, I think the great thing about it too is that if initially she's like, "Well, I don't want anything to do with these jewels because they're they, they're they're in my family safe. I don't trust them." And then over time, the jewels are revealing that the reason why they like her is because she doesn't spill blood mm-hmm. uh, as much, and like she they they sense that she's a good person rather than yeah. than a blood mage. Yeah. Uh- I actually want to pick up the first series so I can get the world building. Figure out what's going on. <laughs> that, 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 then reread this one and mm. come from there. Because the, the world itself, from the little that I gathered from reading the book, is an interesting world. And I'm like, okay, I want to learn. And I figure that probably the first series will deal more with the world building than this yeah, one. Yeah, I think I would be in the same boat if I wasn't already so swamped with so many things to read. Um, so given that, given that my time for reading is at a premium right now, um, this didn't give me much reason to, to go beyond, you know, I, I, at this point I'm willing to just do a Google search and figure out what was going on with those crown jewels and call it good. And and tell me, because you've, you had the print copy, so you know what, how everything's spelled. Um, there is a kingdom nearby called Saya. Is that right? Uh, are you t- are you talking about Cheya the city? Oh, they're the, they're the uh, they're the Cyan North marches. Oh yeah, Cyan is uh, yeah, Cyan is the the country to the west okay. of of Leonia. T S A I A. Spell again. T T S A I A. All right, I'm almost certain that the audiobook pronounced it Cheya. And the people from there were Saiyans, and it took me right out of the book every time they said it because I know Saiyans as being the the alien race from Dragon Ball Z. Okay, <laughs> you know, it is a well established t- name for me, and it's like that is that is just weird, you know. So yeah. Anyway, I think that's I think that's where I think if uh, I'd have seen it spelled instead of instead of hearing this yeah. this reader's interpretation of it, it would it would have had a different experience. So. I think that's the I think that's the uh, the, the nation where uh, Duke Flan King Flan comes from because oh, he's okay. he's now king of Leonia. See, I didn't even know the name of any. I I, I don't I don't only recall hearing the names of like. Two kingdoms, so yeah, and and it, none of neither one of them were the kingdoms where the action was actually happening. So yeah, so this is where I wish my, the audiobooks Audible could really improve a few things, and and one of the things is they got to find a way to have like the maps and the and the dramatis persona, personae and the extra things, you know, the appendices and that kind of stuff that books sometimes have. Um, yeah. Okay. If you guys for future books, if you want one, I can scan and I have a physical copy, and it has one. I can scan. Mm, that, might be, that might be good. And, and I can email it to you guys, and that way you guys can have something that you can refer to. Yeah, that might be good. Yeah. So, but an Audible, if you're listening, that would be a great addition to <laughs> you know, uh, just a PDF with those things in there that we yeah. can that we can view that and that and naming the chapter titles in in the um, in the audio file would be awesome. I think that would you know dramatically improve my experience with with Audible. Well, any other conversations about uh, this book, about Oath of Fealty? I think uh, I have exhausted all of my notes. I'm good. I'm good, too. (laughs) All right. And that's the end of this episode of the Tome Show Book Club. 
We want to say thank you to Eric and Paquette for joining us as always. We also want to thank Noble Knight for their support and our listeners for using the Amazon and uh, D&D Classics affiliate links over at thetomeshow.com. If you want to reach out to Eric, you can do so, do so at twitter.com slash ericmpaq, P-A-Q, right? Yes. All right, anything else you want to pimp? Uh, Usually it's just thing. a Twitter, right? <laughs> so. Usually it's a Twitter. Cool. And if you'd like to contact us, you can send us an email at thetomeshow at gmail.com or call our biz line at 919-BIZ-TOME. That's 919-B-I-Z-T-O-M-E. And you can find other great Tome Show shows as well as show notes over at thetomeshow.com. That is our thoughts on Oath of Fealty. We will be back next month reading Durini. Ah. Everybody, <laughs> give me, everybody give me your pronunciation. I say Durini Rising. Durini Rising, Tracy? I'll say that. Durini Rising? I'm going to say Durini Rising because I want to be... We'll, we'll know next month. When we listen to the audiobook, at least we'll know how they pronounced it. Uh, by Catherine Kurtz. Until then, keep turning the page, Tomites. I'm on the wall.